The World Tomorrow. Herbert W. Armstrong brings you the plain truth about today's world news and the prophecies of the world tomorrow. Now, isn't it ironic that of all the religions in the world, including the Christian religion, except for one church that Jesus Christ called the Little Flock and was the original church that was founded by him in 31 A.D., not one knows who or what God is. Not one. They simply do not know how I'm going to prove it to you. I wouldn't say that if I couldn't prove it to you. In our Western world, the largest religion, of course, is Christianity, but it's in very great confusion. Now, the largest of all religions and the largest church in Christianity is the Roman Catholic Church. They're having their troubles within right now. Then, of course, the Protestant movement is very great. And there are more than 250 denominations and sects in Protestant Christianity and many other smaller groups beside. All divided. No two believing the same thing. One believes one thing, they may have certain things in common, but they all have something else they don't have in common, that they do not agree with others. They don't agree except uh, to a certain extent. Then you take the other religions over the world, all is confusion. Uh, there is Buddhism, there is Hinduism, Taoism, Confucianism, Shintoism, the Muslim religion, which covers the whole Arab world and a great deal of Africa beside. Different religions believe whatever their religion is. The people in uh, uh, Thailand, practically all of them believe in Buddhism. Now, why do they all believe in Buddhism? Why is it nearly all Arabs believe in the Muslim religion? Why is it that nearly everybody in France is a Catholic? Though most of them are just nominal Catholics, they're not really... Uh, uh, not uh, deep down Catholics, but that's uh, that's what they would claim they are. And uh, but but why? And how did you come to believe the things you believe? Well, most people never ask themselves that in retrospect how they came to believe what they do. Do you ever stop to think how you came to believe what you believe? How did it get into your mind? You've got absolute beliefs. You've got convictions, and you're sure of it. But someone else is just as sure of the opposite, of something entirely different. Now, how did you come to be so sure? And are you so sure after all, or do you just think you are? Well, let me answer that question. Most people believe what they've been brought up to believe, especially in religion. They believe the religion that those people around them believe and what they were taught to believe and what their neighbors and, and everybody they know believes, what their peers believe and those around them. A lot of people believe what they want to believe, even though they might know it's not the truth. They believe it anyway. And uh, uh, a lot of people believe, uh, refuse to believe what they don't want to believe. And even if you prove it to them, they won't accept it. And there's an old saying that uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And he certainly is. 
a man convinced against his will. Well, how did I come to believe what I believe? Now, I, I want to tell you a little bit about my own experience because I was put through an experience. 51 years ago, in fact, it's getting almost 52 years, I was given a great jolt, a mind-disturbing dual challenge. All of a sudden, to my dismay, I learned that my wife had taken up with what I regarded as religious fanaticism. Now, I had left uh, church and Sunday school and religious interest after about age 18. I was reared in it. Of course, I was reared to believe in God and, and to believe in Christ. I didn't know much about God, didn't know much about Christ, but I, uh, I, I just knew I believed in them. Why? I didn't know, but that's because I'd been taught it, I guess, and because all everybody else did that I was with. But uh, I didn't know much about it. Of course, I also believed that I was an immortal soul, and I believed that uh, I would go to heaven or to hell when I died, depending on how good I was. And uh, I had some beliefs like that. But here my wife had now taken up with religious fanaticism, and I had almost lost interest in religion, and uh, this was a good many years after I was 18. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I was 34. And uh, my wife had taken up with the seventh day Sabbath. Now to me, that was just about the, the very height of religious fanaticism. And I began to think, I, I had business associates. I had been making in the advertising business, what would be uh, an income today or a salary uh, equivalent of what today's dollar will buy of about $150,000 a year. And uh, I don't think you'd say that that's exactly a, the kind of an evidence of failure. Now I was really disturbed. And about the same time, uh, a sister-in-law of mine who just fresh out of college and newly married uh, to my wife's brother uh, came to me and she had learned something in, in school and I don't know how it came but I, uh, I had uh, studied so many things and I, I had gotten books in the library and I had bought books and I had read and studied books and uh, I had not neglected education by any means but uh, my sister-in-law said to me, because she knew I didn't believe in evolution, one time she said, Herbert Armstrong, you are just downright ignorant. Well, I said, I don't think I am. Of course, I was, I, I was quite proud at that time. And uh, uh, she says, anyone who has any knowledge and any, uh, any sense at all knows evolution is true. Well, I said, I don't know it. And she said, well, you're ignorant. I said, Hertha, I'm going to make you swallow those words. I'm going to make you eat those words. I said, I have never gone into uh, an in-depth uh, uh, study of evolution. I've read a great deal about it. And from what I have seen, I don't believe in it. But I said, now I'll go into it deeply. I'm not going to be called ignorant. Yes, I was proud. 
So the next six months was a night and day study. And it happened to be a six-month time when I had time on my hands. My wife used to say to me about 1 a.m., Herbert, when are you coming to bed? Because I was studying. And often I was at the public library at 9 o'clock waiting for it to open its doors in the morning, and I was still there when they closed the doors at 10 o'clock at night. And then I'd go home and study until 1. And I went in depth. I began my study by getting the works of Darwin and uh, the account of his uh, trip around the world and the good ship Beale and all of that. And uh, then I got the writings of those that have uh, uh, been his uh, the chief pushers of his theory, uh, Haeckel and Huxley, uh, and a uh, modern one, uh, Chamberlain, who was the professor emeritus in the University of Chicago, and uh, others. I, uh, I delved into what Lamarck had to say about use and disuse, which was a discarded theory and was, had come up before Darwin's time, and uh, uh, Lyell and all, all of the old evolutionists. And uh, I began some of the study in the Bible. But I tell you, as I began to study the writings of these evolutionists, they were very, very convincing. Now, you admit they have to be to have sold practically all higher education on the theory. It's almost universally accepted, and it is considered that you're ignorant if you don't believe it. How did I ever come to believe in God? Well, I've just brought up to believe in God. Well, had I ever seen it proved? Had I ever really looked into it? No, I never had. I took it for granted. Most people believe what they have read or heard, and they carelessly take it for granted. They just assume it. They haven't proved it. And I began to realize I have never proved whether there is a God. And I said, well, now, uh, before I go into the Bible about the Sabbath or anything like that, I, I want to know whether God exists, because if there isn't any God, then you've got to throw the Bible out. So I studied it, but I did study the Bible along with it. To make a long story short, I proved before that six months was over that God does exist, that God is the first cause and the creator of matter, of all of us, even of spirit bodies, spirit beings called angels, of everything that is. I came to learn who and what God is, and not one religion in the world believes that or understands it. You know, that that's just makes me stand aghast when I think of that. Uh, I proved that evolution was false. Now, we were living in Portland, Oregon at the time. And in Portland, they have a, a very fine public library there. And they had a woman in charge of that department who was uh, uh, very highly educated. I finally wrote, and I, I didn't waste too many pages on it. I had just come right down. I, I, I always had a tendency to want to get to the trunk of the tree. If the trunk of the tree is false, every branch on it is false. You chop down the trunk of a tree, and you're chopping down every branch with it, aren't you? I have always been one that will stand right for the trunk of the tree. And so, I did. And... 
I simply prove that there is only one possible thing that the evolutionists put forward that could be a real proof. Now, comparative anatomy and selective breeding and all that kind of thing might tend to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, well, sort of back up your belief of something already proved, but it's not, they're not in themselves proofs. A lot of those things will confuse people, but they are not really proofs. They don't prove it at all. And I disproved evolution. I took this paper to this woman and asked her if she would read it. I came back a couple of days later, and uh, she says, yes, I read it. And she says, uh, I have to admit you are right. She says, you have proved. Says, you have an uncanny knack of getting right to, down to the one crux of the thing, the trunk of the tree. And uh, she says, I've never seen it presented that way before. But she says, Mr. Armstrong, I have to go on believing it. You don't understand. I have been in higher education all my life. I have done graduate work for uh, higher PhD degrees and other degrees at the University of Chicago and at uh, Columbia University and at other great universities. And I have been in science and among scientists who believe evolution all of my life. And it's part of me. To take that out of my mind would be like taking my, both of my arms and cutting them off. It's just, just it says, you, you brought this to me too late. I can't give it up. Even though I admit you prove I am wrong. You know, it's too bad that anyone can get to that kind of a position. Now, I prove then, after that, the authority and the divine inspiration of the Bible. And once I had that proved, I had solid ground to stand on. Now, something else happened along. I found, to my uh, great and shocked surprise, that no religion... Of course, I don't know that any but the Christian religion claim they get their religion out of the Bible, but no religion and no Christian sect and denomination, but the one, as I say, the one Christ called the little flock that was the church he founded in 31 AD, and no other church really got their religion out of this book. They simply didn't. It, 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 it was not derived from the Bible, but rather it was derived from man, and they tried to make it sort of read into the Bible and make people believe that they got it out of the Bible, but uh, they didn't. Now, uh, for example, I looked at Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin. Now, wages is what you get paid for what you do. The wages of sin, then what you do is sin, and the wages you get paid for it. It says here is death. And I looked at that, and I said, well, that can't be. I said, I've been taught all my life that the wages of sin is eternal life, not death. Just the opposite. Of course, it's eternal life in hell fire, but you'll be roasting and roasting and roasting forever and ever, but never burn up. You'll just be burning, burning, all aflame and burning, but never burn up. Then I notice the second part of this sentence, but the gift of God is eternal life through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that, uh, that hit me also. I said, well, I've already got eternal life. I'm an immortal soul. Why do I need to go to God and get it for, as a gift and have him give it to me? I already have it. I was born with it. 
So I began to look. Now, I, I learned uh, about that time. If I didn't already know, I might have already known that much, but uh, I was in the libraries where I had access to every kind of book. I went to the Bible concordances that will give you a word and uh, show you every place that word is used in the Bible. And you can just turn to it in a minute. Any, anything, you can find it. So I looked up the word soul, and uh, I found uh, the word soul used twice back here in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, in the 18th chapter, Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now that, I'd been taught just the opposite of that. You see, the church I was raised in was a highly respected church, but they weren't preaching what this says. This says a soul will die. Now I look clear over here on the next page, and I find it again in verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Well, then I got to looking back here into Genesis. As I say, that was the uh, starting point for both the evolution and uh, and, and the Sabbath question. And uh, I looked back here, and I found uh, that God said, in Genesis 2.15, And the eternal God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the eternal God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Oh, that was God saying you will die. Now, was that man a soul? Well, in this same chapter, in verse 7, it says, The eternal God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man is a soul. And he says that soul will die. Well, I'll tell you, you can see how my head was swimming. I looked at evolution and what they were saying. It made this all look ridiculous. It made God look ridiculous. And finally, I found out that they are ridiculous and that God is true. Then I looked up this matter of soul. I, I just had to, had to run this down just to show you a little bit of how I started out at that time. I realized I had taken it for granted. Did God exist? Is the Bible true? I had to know. I wanted proof. This is the way I was going at it. Take in Genesis 1, beginning with verse 20. And uh, God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the uh, moving creature. Now, I found that that word creature in English was originally written in the Hebrew language by Moses. Moses wrote, Nephesh. But translators have changed it into the English word creature. And then, the next verse, God created great whales and every living creature. And it says the, the original of it that Moses wrote was Nephesh. That moveth in the waters, bring forth abundantly after his kind, every winged fowl after his kind. And so, and then again in verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature. Again, it was Nephesh. 
I found Moses wrote the word nephesh, the living nephesh, after his kind, cattle, and the creeping thing, and the beast of the earth, after his kind, and it was so. All after their kind. Now, when we come to man, over here in Genesis 2, verse 7, man became a living nephesh. But why did they change it and call it soul? They call it soul when it comes to man, and Moses wrote the same thing. Man is the same thing as an animal, so far as that part of it is concerned. Now, the great difference uh, is expressed in other words. There's a great difference between man and animal, and that's mostly the spirit that is in man, and these scriptures right here don't explain that. Other scriptures do in the Bible. Now, it took me a little while to learn some of these things. I give these things to you, and you don't have to uh, work them out through all the years and all the hours and multiple hundreds of hours of study that I did. Let's read right on, verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image. Now I learned that the word God originally was written by Moses in the Hebrew language as Elohim. And Elohim is a unipura, like the word family or like the word church. Many people, but one church. Many people can compose a family, but yet it's only one family. One group. A, a group may uh, have many component parts. And now God said, let us. See, God is more than one person, but one God. Now in John 1 and verse 1, you read that there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there are two beings, and yet each of them is God. But we find later in other scriptures that God is a family. And the one we think of as God the Father, the one that Jesus Christ prayed to when he was on earth, is the father of that family. And we, if we are converted, are his begotten children. And we are to go on and become born of him. And when we're born of him, we'll be like he is. And we'll be no longer flesh and blood. We'll be no longer human. We will be divine. We will be very God. And I, I don't know any religion that believes that. But this Bible does. And that's where I got it. I, I didn't make that up in my own imagination by any matter of means. And uh, so, you see, God made the cattle after the cattle kind, animals after their kind, then he made man after the God kind. Man was made after the God kind. And we find later, you see, that God had said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Man was made to look like God. Only man is made out of matter, and God is composed of spirit. There's the great difference. Now, God has a head, he has arms, and he has legs, and he has hands, and he has feet, and he has ten fingers, and he has ten toes. He has a nose, he has a mouth, he has eyes, and it's all mentioned in the Bible. All of those things, just like a human being. The disciples asked Jesus, Show us the Father. What is God like, God the Father? Jesus said, well, have you been such a long time with me and you ask me that? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because he looks just like I do. 
except at that time Jesus was mortal in the human flesh and the Father was up in heaven, composed of spirit at that time. Man was made after the image of God. And man was made to have a very special uh, relationship with God. Uh, man may be born of God as God is God, and as in the God family, even as Jesus Christ is now very God by a resurrection from the dead. Now, I'd like to go on from there and show you man's ultimate ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose for which we were put on earth. No religion on earth can tell you, no government can tell you, no uh, science can't tell you, uh, education can't tell you, what you are, why you are, and how you came to be here, and why, how did humanity come to be on this earth? Science uh, gets all confused trying to work that out, but they don't know the answer, and the answer is pure and clean. I'll try to come to that next time, but I'm going to break off there now, and uh, I'll see you all next time as this program continues on. Go goodbye. This is Herbert W. Armstrong saying goodbye, friends. For more information, please visit our website at www.coglittleflock.com.